0: Hello, and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and consummate podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam
1: Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a hungover man, uh, because (laughs) uh, I went out with the, the guys at Hex last night to celebrate a very successful month here, I don't think I've actually announced it, but I am actually doing work with Hex in Scotland at the moment, and um, we have had a good month. So, yes, but I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear today. But thankfully, uh, we are talking about one of, I feel like I say this every
0: episode, but <laughs> one of the greatest films and one of my favorite films, Robocop. I mean, I'm- I'm fully joining you in that. It's definitely one of my favourites and coming back to it, I think it's been a few years since I've seen it, coming yeah. back to it on this edition was just a, a, a wall-to-wall delight.
1: Yeah, an absolute joy. It's it's one of those movies where we've kind of spoken about it before where you watched it so much growing up that you kind of oh feel like you, you don't necessarily need to watch it again, but uh, it definitely is worth the revisit for for anyone who hasn't seen it um because of those reasons um and it's also wonderful for anyone who hasn't actually seen it because believe it or not dan there are plenty of those people out there
0: yeah absolutely uh in fact i've been uh, chatting with a few of our listeners uh, about the disc obviously the disc is out in the world by the time we've recorded this uh we're not as far ahead as occasionally we are and uh, and some of our listeners uh and i have tw- chatted on twitter and uh and one of them has, has said specifically that they got to watch it with someone who was watching it for the first time. And it that's one of the things about these, um, these movies that are so seminal in genre cinema. When you get to share them with someone, we've talked about this with Evil Dead, we've talked about it with Nightbreed, and uh, we've talked about it with, uh, like, uh, Videodrome and The Thing like sharing these with someone who hasn't seen them is almost like watching them for the first time again yourself because you, you kind of get that... You, you you sort of receive that excitement from the person you're with. You get a vicarious thrill.
1: Totally, and, and that's kind of one of the aims of this podcast in a weird way, even though we're obviously not in the room sitting next to you when you watch the films that we recommend, dear, precious, sweet Arrowhead... Part of the joy of doing this podcast is recommending those films that you can see for the first time, whether they're the obscure curios that we recommend in the past couple of weeks' recommendation section, or films like Robocop, weirdly. Like, I was speaking to a young director named Lucy Webb um, who was at the Hex event last night, and she went to her boyfriend's house and he was watching Robocop, And so she watched it with him for the first time. And her reaction was, it's a lot, isn't it?
0: (laughs) it, In a a good way. It really is
1: a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. In a good way. She loved it. But there really is so much to this film. And I think that's partly because uh, it had two writers, both of which were coming to the project uh, from very different angles and different perspectives. Yeah. But before we get into that, shall we explain the plot of RoboCop? Or rather, shall you, Dan?
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so in a an inevitable future for Detroit, <laughs> 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 the ongoing privatisation of public services in America has led to small... And then larger companies taking chunks out of uh, the police force, and now OCP Omni Consumer Products uh, is uh, looking to bolster its police stake to clean up the city and make it a more marketable opportunity for its partner project um, in a city development, uh, building condos and so on. So there's a, a sort of a financial. Impetus for the mechanisation of the police force. So within OCP, you've got two different uh, arms fighting for this contract. Uh, you've got the Ed Two Hundred and Nine group, who are the front runners, and then you've got the plucky underdogs who have their RoboCop initiative. When a fault with ed 209 causes it to brutally gun down a young executive in a boardroom uh, spraying him all across a beautiful white foam board vista of the potential architectural endeavor the opportunistic robocop team step forwards and pitch their backup plan, uh, and all it needs is a, uh, a dead policeman or a near-dead policeman to become the, the sort of the surrogate brainstem of their robot cop. And that brainstem is provided by the brutally massacred uh, Peter Weller, who is shot down uh, while on his first day with new partner, uh Nancy what's Nancy's name uh i've forgotten it uh Lewis 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 thank you yeah 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 Lewis so uh Peter Weller and 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 uh Lewis are out on the on the road they get caught up in a uh, a nasty uh gang shootout after a I guess it's a bank robbery? We don't see the actual robbery. We just see them bitching about burnt money. Yeah. And he is whisked away to a hospital where very little of him is rescued and he is turned into the titular robot cop. And it's like just an amazing melee of violence and media satire and vicious consumerism and... It, yeah, you know, it's just everything about it is fantastic from then on, and there's a lot of blood.
1: Yeah, a lot of blood, a lot of kind of yeah, gloop. Um, stop motion. Stop motion. Um, absolutely, by the magnificent Phil Tippett. Uh, just beautiful. Well,
0: Phil Tippett and Rob Bertine. What an incredible, incredible collaboration.
1: That's it. Yeah. So Phil Tippett doing the stop motion, and Rob Bertine doing the. Uh, and the practical effects and all that stuff and this is part of what makes this film so special you have so many geniuses working on it and everything about this film is genius like from the film itself even to the marketing campaign like robocop's one of the greatest posters uh, ever um the logo's beautiful uh it's also stylistically unified and, and just truly brilliant isn't it
0: Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, even down to the OCP logo. Yeah. Like, the, the branding of the fictional companies within the movie. And I think that that's, what's interesting is that the movie straddles this incredible, like, it, it sits on a knife edge between mainstream action cinema and, like, exploitation trash. Totally. And and the fact that it manages to bridge that so perfectly is what makes it such a rousing success, because there are things, there are moments in this film that would not be out of place in a trauma movie. Oh, like it's yeah. it's it's bombastic and it's loud and it's crude and it's, but then it's also got this amazing political message to it and it's sincere and it's earnest and the two, you know. I I don't know if it's more the writers or if it's more Verhoeven or if it's just that perfect cocktail but I feel like it could have gone so wrong but it goes so right completely
1: um yeah let's talk a little bit about the writers because it is this incredible combination of very kind of different attitudes so Michael Minor describes himself as a anti-system science fiction writer in the tradition of people like philip k dick and presumably william gibson because this film does have kind of a bit
0: of a gibsony edge to it um he, and, and he says sorry sir. no no go on when he says like when he was at film school the first uh, first thing he wrote was an adaptation of a philip k dick Exactly. Story. Like, yeah, so he's... But but he talks about being arrested as a protester and, like, he's super anti-establishment. Yeah. And there's a lovely extra with him talking about fighting Verhoeven on the removal of the American, like, nuclear family ideal because Verhoeven wanted that gone. He wanted, like... He wanted, uh, like, pre-robot, robot cop to be, you know, to be, like, a bachelor. Like, a
1: Yeah, it was in there, wasn't it? It it was in there, then it was taken out, and then I think the argument was made that some of the most successful American films do have that suburban element, so stuff like E.T. The fear
0: of loss of family, yeah, 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 Yeah.
1: exactly. um, And he also added all the kind of sociological stuff, so the media break stuff and the, the portrait of kind of toxic capitalism, um, I mean, capitalism is pretty toxic in general, isn't it? He says on a <laughs> 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 anyway on a marketing podcast. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. Um, but yeah, then you've got Ed Newmyer, who uh, you know he was inspired to to write kind of his he it kind of the project originated with him. Basically, Michael Minat was exploring similar ideas um but Newmeyer had an actual kind of basis which was inspired by um working i think it's a script reader next to the blade runner set and he was kind of inspired by what he saw there and it, there is a kind of weird frankenstein uh, connection to blade runner um but obviously this is like you say a lot more kind of bombastic and trashy and and, and re- kind of ridiculous but um Just in, just in this, it's spectacle. Yeah, it's it's kind of, (laughs) it's actually, it's it's a dystopia with kind of weirdly utopian elements. I know that sounds like a strange thing to say because it is such a a a bleak film, and and the politics is kind of pretty much unified with what we've got at the moment. But the idea that they are trying to resurrect people and are successful at it, and, and actually, you know, Murphy, for all that he goes through, is improved. He is turned into a... Uh, I mean, I'm saying this as someone who doesn't have a family and doesn't particularly want to have a family. Um, <laughs> so I would rather be traipsing around in a big robot suit that allows me to uh, take down whoever I want. God, Shoot I'm, people I'm, in the dick. I'm revealing too much. Yards. <laughs> <laughs> Stop me, stop me. But no, a, a Robocop is basically Jesus with a gun. That's what I'm trying to say. Well,
0: so so here's an interesting thing. This is my second podcast record of the day. Earlier today, I (laughs) recorded an episode of the uh, Projection Booth podcast uh, with Mike White. Uh, And uh, Jennifer, Jan Handorf and myself were talking about the 1960, 1962, depending on who you listen to, uh, Wesley Barry uh, sci-fi creation of the humanoids. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, just it happens to deal with a lot of the same stuff. Mm. Now, obviously, Robocop is dealing more with... The uh, like toxic capitalism, venture like uh, opportunistic capitalism, that kind of thing. But it's also very, very much concerned with what makes someone human. Uh, what it is to improve the frailty of the human body mm. with these sort of like cybernetic advancements. Um, creation of the Humanoids is uh, a civil rights allegory from the early 60s and is about equality between men and machines. Um, and and obviously owes a lot to Dick and the same, the Dick Smith and the same... Uh, Philip K. Dick, sorry. And the same, uh, you know, Do Androids Dream has a lot of parallels with Blade Runner, as does this. Uh, and that, again, plays with the idea that if you can take a, a human soul and put it into a machine, does that stop the... Does the machine become the human, or is it a separate thing? Well, that that's... Got a, go on. It's got a fantastic line of dialogue in it where they're, like, arguing. Like, a, a machine and a, a machine that thought it was human are arguing... And they say uh, if a man loses his leg, does that diminish his soul? D- does he lose a percentage of his soul because he's lost a percentage of his body? not even you know a fraction of a percent so what if all but the head is lost has he lost his soul but what if you could take his mind and transplant it and and that's very much what's happening with Murphy and this you know he they try to suppress those the memories but it's the memories that make a human and it's when those things start bleeding back in that he regains his humanity yeah and, and going back to his his marital home uh, and remembering the the times with his family remembering those things those are the things that make him human and that's very interesting because um, uh, one of the co-writers, Minor,
1: his original idea um, for kind of his project was something called SuperCop, and that was about a robot suit that turned its user into a sociopath, um, and he kind of described it as Bad Lieutenant but with a robot. And so that is kind of the, the diametric opposite to what you're talking about there. Um, someone who, whose soul is kind of drained away by this power, I guess. And that is a film that I would also love to see. So, um, God, yes. Yeah, and, and it's obviously a, a fantastic disc. There's so much on here. Um,
0: what are some of your favourites of the extras? Um, I mean, obviously the first things I watched were all the effects things. Yeah. Uh, my my absolute favourite moment on the disc is Phil Tippett breaking an ed two oh like a, a screen-used ED209 stop-motion miniature. <laughs> <laughs> Which I had to pause because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Phil Tippett is uh, obviously an amazing artist but also something of a character within the effects community and to watch him sort of like at the beginning I was like well this is unwieldy because he's sort of balancing it on his knee (laughs) while talking about the scene and manipulating it and stretching this you know you know, decades old stop motion puppet and then one of the hand cannons just like pops off and falls and there's like a a, a match cut and it's back on and he does a couple more lines and then it falls off again. So funny, Um, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Nancy Allen's interview is absolutely fantastic. Uh, There's a really lovely piece with the visual effects supervisors that's really good i mean
1: it, it's it's everything like you know yes yeah. the, the casting uh, director i mean for me my absolute favorite thing on here and it's kind of a bit of a cliche for me i guess because i do love audio commentaries but that commentary with um, paul verhoven the producer and um edward Newmeyer yeah, yeah, yeah pointing out so many lovely little details um it's exactly what i want from an audio commentary it's kind of a perfect mixture of enthusiasm and honesty and expertise and um, there's just so many great moments where they're talking directly about things that are happening on screen and they're actually pointing out stuff that you haven't necessarily noticed or thought about and yeah Meyer credits whoever contributed individual lines and ideas um which is really wonderful to hear from a writer and you know finding out that one of the best lines was a, a Peter Weller contribution uh, was really lovely as well so I highly I mean there's a few uh, commentaries on on this disc but yeah I highly recommend listening to that one first it's so so good
0: yeah it's it's absolutely fantastic I haven't uh, so I have in front of me now as we record the uh, the old criterion laser disc oh yeah and i and I think that this has not transferred the audio commentary from that disc right um, because I can't find any reference of quote Robocop expert Paul Salmon so on any are, of the
1: are you telling the precious listeners that a they can't listen to something and b you have that something.
0: Um, well, I guess what I'm saying is to anyone <laughs> out there off? who, no, I'm not showing off. I'm I'm warning people based on my past experience. What I'm saying is this is an amazing disc. Definitely get it. Whether you've never seen Robocop before or you love Robocop and you have many past editions, but what you cannot do is get rid of your old Criterion Laserdisc, just assuming everything is going to be on this disc.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I've done that. I've got rid of discs in the past, laser discs in the past, thinking that everything on them would be on this, you know, a new version, and occasionally I have been disappointed, and in this instance I do not get that extra 5 mil of my shelf space back by being able to get rid of one copy for another. The the old Blu-ray of RoboCop, that's gone, fuck that. <laughs> this this is an astonishing box set, but don't get rid of your laser disc.
1: And yeah, um, there's loads of things that I kind of found out uh, through exploring this disc and the, the many, many extras. I, I love the story that's, that's probably well-known, but I didn't know it, um, about Verhoeven throwing the script away uh, with, his yeah. wife, with his wife kind of digging out the trash and telling him to finish it, um, which is obviously exactly what happened with the first draft of Carrie when Stephen King was was writing the original book. He kind of gave up on it, threw it away. His wife dug it out and told him it was really good yeah. to finish it. So, um, yeah, it's little stories like that where you think, fucking hell. But for one random decision, this film wouldn't exist in this form. Yeah. Um, and, and it really is uh, pure cinema, Robocop. And it's weird. I mean, I think uh, one of the reasons Lucy was so surprised by, you know, how much there is going on in this film and how layered it is, perhaps, and, you know, how political it is, perhaps, is because it is called Robocop. And as much as we know and love that title to perhaps younger generations it's kind
0: of a ridiculous title well it's i, I think it it uh, it leans the title leans much more towards the sort of like trash b movie exactly, end yeah. of the of the aesthetic and the sensibilities of the film than it does perhaps to the like like dramatic or politically allegorical sensibilities that are so rich within the movie but you don't necessarily get any indication of them from the title robocop
1: yeah and i think the writers were even slightly embarrassed when uh, asked what they were working on and and they said robocop even though presumably one of them came up with the title but it could have been even more ridiculous arnold schwarzenegger was originally wanted to play robocop uh, to play murphy but um, thankfully Rob Boteen stepped in and said that he was so big he would look like the Michelin man in the suit. So (laughs) thank you, Rob Boteen, for that. I don't think I want Arnie playing the Terminator and Robocop. Um, No. Partly because uh, there was a weird uh, trend of... uh, I think there's a Robocop versus Terminator comic... (laughs) Uh, and I yeah. believe a video game as well. So uh, we wouldn't have those masterpieces
0: if he played both, probably. Um, yeah. But maybe we'll get a movie. Oh, would, yeah. How how much would you like? Given given, I haven't seen the most recent Terminator movie, but given the in constant desire to re reboot and remake and yeah. and sequelize, uh, would you watch a, a, a Terminator RoboCop Terminator versus RoboCop movie made this year? It, it truly depends on how woke it is, Dan. <laughs> it's it's no it's it's uh, second unit is directed by Lloyd Kaufman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm already watching it. Um, and, and by the way, put dear, it
1: into my brain, dear, dear sweet precious arrowheads, if there are any snowflakes out there listening to this i am only joking with my uh right wing persona that i've developed over the past couple of episodes <laughs> i promise, normal service will be resumed um but yeah speaking of like sequels and spin-offs and all that kind of stuff um i absolutely love robocop too a lot of people
0: yeah. hate it um, no, I've got a lot of time for RoboCop 2, particularly the uh, the amazing montage yep. of <laughs> failed secondary RoboCops. It, it's incredible. And it's so dark, you know, like the kind of vicious
1: child gangster in it. And, yeah, the, the whole kind of narc stuff. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it is kind of an amazing film. So if you haven't sought out RoboCop 2, and I think there's a lot less robocop 2 fans out there than there are robocop fans uh, and and as such you may have been put off watching it but i do recommend that you seek out robocop 2 if you haven't seen it it is a, a, a weird gonzo masterpiece
0: yeah it is uh, it is a weird delight yeah um how, how do you feel about the tv series sam
1: Now, I actually reviewed the TV series. um, I I believe this was very early in in my uh, writing career. I think I reviewed it for DVD Review or SFX. But basically, I think my review can be summed up in one sentence, which is that Robocop walks like Crichton with the shits. (laughs) <laughs> Robocroc Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, it, it's a, a true example of uh, the mystic energy that's at the centre of the original film and that it really was truly the combination of all of these talents that made Robocop so special. And the TV series and also Robocop 3, uh, it's all a glimpse into what could have been if we didn't have actual geniuses working on them because yeah they're pretty bad how do you feel I don't about like
0: RoboCop 3 either no I'm, I'm very much oh, you, I think. do you like RoboCop 3 <laughs> uh, I have zero memory of RoboCop 3 that's part um, of the issue
1: he flies in yeah. it Dan do you remember that what's that he flies in it do you remember that
0: Oh fuck off. Does he really? Yes he does. I have no I have no memory of that. I've obviously erased it from my from my brain. <laughs> Rightly so. Um Well, I think, you know,
1: that's pretty much all we've got to say about Robocop really. Well
0: actually I one one last thing. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a weird prescience, uh like as is so often the case with like high concept sci-fi, yeah, um, that's got a heavy allegorical slant to it. the The world moves in cycles, and they just keep on being relevant. Um, and so, while some of the stuff in RoboCop may feel like it's attack, you know, it's 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 attacking issues that are kind of of the past. Um, We've recently had uh, news that the first private police force in London has been such a commercial success in rich neighbourhoods that my local Bobby is going to be taken nationwide next year. Wow. So we we now actually have a sort of shit OCP taking root in England. Wow, um, and it's yeah. It like the the things they're dealing with in this film are big and far reaching, and it seems like ever fucking present because usurious and opportunistic pricks will always try and find a way of making money out of the problems of society. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that makes it such an amazing film and so easy to return to is that, you know, while some of it may feel a little dated now, it survives incredibly well because the the the, the subjects it deals with are kind of constant. Mm.
1: Yeah, completely, completely. And, yeah, the, I, I'd say even more than that, the tone of RoboCop... Feels like our current reality, that mixture <laughs> of, you know, brutality and dark satire. Like, it, it, you know, Trump feels like an OCP president like the the oh yeah
0: you could you could take trump's current behavior and just transplant him into robocop 4 as a board member
1: it would almost feel too ridiculous and that is the reality that we're dealing with now so um you see dear precious arrowhead i don't like trump so i'm not really right wing (laughs) or am i who knows he's Um, not
0: he's he's not firm enough on yeah exactly yeah he'd, he'd be <laughs> the thing is the thing is trump is like a like a weird halfway house between an OCB executive and the i'd buy that for a dollar guy
1: oh, <laughs> i couldn't put that but that is a beautiful way to lead into um our, our lovely recommendations uh what is your first
0: recommendation based on robocop Uh, My first book, and it may may surprise you, it may not surprise you, but my first recommendation, based on Robocop, is the 1986 classic directed by Richard Haynes and Lloyd Kaufman, it's Class of Newcomb High. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Um, So, uh, of of all of the Troma movies, uh, Class of Newcomb High may not be the absolute best, but I feel it's the one that most closely... uh, mimics the kind of like weird punk sensibilities that are veined through Robocop particularly with that first uh, alleyway altercation and yeah it doesn't have maybe some of the shine and polish and it certainly doesn't have any of the patine or tippet <laughs> the present in uh, in Robocop but yeah Class of Newcomb High is a weird grungy counterculture classic and i can't recommend it highly enough if you haven't seen
1: it totally and and funnily enough uh i'm kind of going to ditch them but on my long list for this uh was both toxic avenger obviously you know there's the the trauma link and the kind of melty face thing um, and also the incredible melting man which is an arrow release and um i think was an influence on this uh on some level but instead, I am... well, you've got
0: to remember Rob Bertine and Rick Baker. Rob Bertine, who did the makeup effects for this, was Rick Baker's uh, junior, and Rick Baker did the makeup effects for Incredible Melting Man. So... Exa- exactly.
1: So I, I feel that skills learnt there were definitely transferred onto this uh, for one particular scene. Um, so yeah, that they were on the long list. But instead, I am going to. I think I'd rather recommend the graphic novel but to keep things consistent I am going to recommend the animated movie version of this but if you haven't read Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns or if you haven't seen the pretty decent animated movie version of it released by Warner Brothers recently uh, the Dark Knight Returns tonally and I don't know visually to a certain extent Very, very tonally resonant with RoboCop. They feel like they could kind of exist in the same world. And obviously Frank Miller uh, did the story for um, RoboCop 2, so there's a kind of connection there as well. Um, Because that's the other thing that we should underline about RoboCop is that it is incredibly comic book. Um, Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, I could also recommend Dread, uh, which is another great film with an actor with yeah, an awesome jawline that's a, and, yeah
0: that's uh, a really good actually Dread's a very very good recommendation <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so uh, you know you, you can have both of those I'll do a double bill um, Dark Knight Returns graphic novel and Dread the movie um, what what's your other recommendation, Dan?
0: Well, so I had a film that I wanted to recommend but hadn't seen, so I set out to try and track down a copy of it because I, I was certain it was a good recommendation, mm. uh, but I didn't want to recommend it without having watched it. I failed. Uh, I haven't managed to watch it. I'm going to recommend it anyway, oh. but I've got like a sort of a, a tacit like, secondary recommendation to go with it. So it's it's uh, Phil Tippett, Mad Dreams and Monsters. It's a documentary about Phil's life uh, and career. It played at Cannes this year. I wasn't able to catch it. Directed by Joss Penso and Alexandra Ponset, uh, Ponset rather. Yeah, Phil, like I said, he's an, this amazing talent with, uh, you know, starting on Star Wars uh, and then going through to Starship Troopers and uh, obviously Robocop. I think he did some stuff with, he might have done some stuff with Stan Winston on um yeah, he definitely did because he was on Jurassic Park because his name used to crop up in that meme Yeah, exactly. with the uh, dinosaur yeah. wrangler Phil Tippett he, he you had, had one job. job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's amazing but he's also a massive acid casualty and a fascinating man to hear talk about the creative process. Mm. Uh, so I'm very, very excited to see the documentary. I have not yet seen it. Uh, if you want to window into it, there's a, a good like half hour documentary about him that Vice did called Phil Tippett My Life and Monsters mm. um, which is really nice. Um, and I feel is probably like a sort of a, a, a tester for Mad Dreams and Monsters, mm. um, which I, which you know hasn't hasn't really come out yet. So, so both of those are recommendations. But bear in mind, I haven't seen Mad Dreams and Monsters
2: myself yet.
1: Well, very quickly, even though I've done my two, I will also throw in Gun Crazy from 1950, which is one of the films that um, the two writers screened uh, during the making of or, or the writing of RoboCop. Um, And, yeah, uh, there's not a massive connection outside of that, but it's just a really fucking great movie from 1950. And also, if there are any younglings out there who haven't seen Starship Troopers, you may exist. Uh, It is a truly perfect double bill, and you can kind of see Verhoeven thinking about things in this film that he would later
0: expand upon in Starship Troopers. Um, yeah, they Yeah. They they're both sort of criticisms of the right-wing ideologue. They are oh, with, fuck, with, they're, y- they're such good films. Yeah, uh, Exactly as you say, with with the satire and
1: the kind of cutaways, but you know also with like the unisex changing rooms, like yeah, there's there's loads of um, crossovers and. Uh... God,
0: we didn't. Yeah, we didn't even get into that. The uh, there's this amazing like post sexualization world. Yeah. If you think about if you think about Verhoeven's early uh, work. Uh, and his like sort of Dutch dramas and Dutch movies that he was doing. And and the reason that he wanted uh, Murphy to be like a swinging bachelor because he was like, ah oh, he doesn't need a family to be a cool character. We should have him be like a, a free guy. Uh, but then like you know when he moves into this and he's playing with the American dynamic he's playing with this he he presents this world where have this amazing steadicam shot where we're moving into the male changing rooms yeah. and you see the guy in the like the paunchy uh, Italian American cop in his towel and then he moves like one steadicam shot tracks through and then there's all these like naked dudes in the background it's all asses all over the place uh, and then it keeps on moving through and you've got like female police um, changing and putting on their, uh, their yeah there's their, just one their kind bulletproof of bulletproof vest. There's one naked woman
1: it's kind of very quick and i think verhoven comments on it in the commentary that he kind of wished that they'd made more of that to make it more clear and obviously well, they, he, do, he does they do but
2: they do more of it. he does that again do that. in, starship, in troopers. starship troopers yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> why if we just <laughs> We'll you let me talk, Dan. The point will be on. made. You were cutting across me, Sam. I, I was not. Um, <laughs> but 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 the whole point is then like and then when we first meet, when we uh, oh my god, why can't I ever remember her name, uh, Lewis? When we first meet Lewis, uh, you know she's in this like like gender neutral body padding. She's not got this like stupid like curvy tit armor of of comic books. She's just in like a, a flat fronted. Uh, like bulletproof vest and she's beating the fuck out of a male perp like you know half again her size but uh, and and then they go ahead and they have this whole like male female relationship between these two characters that never once even gets close to being a romantic relationship which was quite unique at the time like verhoeven's doing some really interesting sexual politics there about these these people being like post post post-sexual um totally and, and, it,
1: and it does come from him because in the the original script the kind of direction for um that moment where we revealed that lewis is a woman and not a guy uh, when she takes off her helmet originally i scripted she was going to have long flowing hair long that flowing fell hair, out yeah. of her helmet and um verhoven said no no cut her hair short and um And, and in fact, Nancy Allen talks about that in her interview as well and uh, about how, you know, she now wishes she'd gone even shorter even though she was kind of worried about it at the time. I mean, to underline all of this that we're talking about, um, if you are a young filmmaker or, you know, you want to get into filmmaking... Uh, It is a cliche to say that Blu-rays are like a film school, but this truly is. You learn about every aspect of filmmaking and and the process, and it's a real insight to the sort of decisions that make such an important difference to the uh, overall quality of a film. Um, So, yeah, I just cannot recommend this release enough. Once again, Arrow, you have defeated my mission to criticise everything you release. Um, this is another disc that is truly special and I really love it so much.
0: I I don't know, Sam, I I kind of just wish that modern films didn't make a political statement, like movies from the 70s and 80s. Films from the 70s and 80s didn't have... Uh, like an axe to grind, they were just, yeah, just present a narrative and you make of it what you will. There Joe wasn't any Joe, Bob Briggs, <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs,
1: Joe Bob Briggs. Thank you for this guest appearance on the podcast. But he was talking about horror films there, and uh, to get uh, slightly controversial for a second, and you know, to do my mentions on Twitter, I sort of see where he's coming from. Um, in the uh, horror, used to be. I don't know. It just feels like that subtext. (laughs) Let's get into it, Dan. It's fine. That subtext, I'm not saying it. uh, Obviously, there's always been political subtext to um, many, many of the great horror films that we all love from the 70s and 80s. But I I think sometimes in the modern world, some horror films, it, it feels like the point is to make a political point and that's the starting point rather than the story and kind of weaving it into a story that has to be told. It feels like there is a definite market um, for movies that kind of um, are a bit politically on the nose. How do you feel about that Dan? I can hear you silently (laughs) raging.
0: So uh, I have a terrible habit of talking over Sam when we do these records. (laughs) And uh, earlier, I promised Sam I would try and rein that in a bit, and that took literally every fiber of any strength I have.
1: <laughs> but now, Dan, not you have to, the opportunity. Not to shout all
0: over it. You have the opportunity to uh, make your point, which I'm sure will be valuable. So I would say that in the eyes of uh, a lot of like mainstream critics this is almost in robocop is almost indistinguishable from a horror film yet sci-fi but horror and sci-fi aren't mutually exclusive as alien will attest
1: i have literally never heard anyone describe robocop as a horror film apart from have you ever heard
0: anyone describe it as horrific
1: um i've heard people describe it as brutal
0: and violent that'll do That'll do. They're basically the same thing as <laughs> That's far as the so main, not true. as far as as far as mainstream criticism goes. They're com- it's completely the same. The complaint this about is horror is not that it. Oh, I don't like that it deals with ghosts. Like every now and then, you might have someone complain about like atheism, but for the most part, it's because of the violence. Yeah, yeah, that but is we're, we're talking about
1: we're not talking about descriptives. We're talking
0: about genre. And so no one has described but genre right, but doesn't genre doesn't movie. exist it's a set of it's a set of arbitrary fence posts that we put we we ourselves have put across film to make them easier to describe when we're talking to each other and like you know you and I have had arguments about what genre films are time and time again on this podcast so like, I I, I think to, to say, well, because this one's got a robot in it, it doesn't count. It also has, like, a man being, like, smashed into an acid, like, truck, and then exploding on the bonnet of another... Uh, an acid tank, and then exploding on the bonnet of another car when it hits him because he's gone so melty that he comes apart like a watermelon. Like that's a that's a horror moment. It just happens to exist in a film that's about a robot, so we call it sci-fi. The, the 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 main point is that genre cinema in general has always been about allegory. And to yes, maybe there are a few films nowadays where the it's a little bit on the nose and people get a bit like ire, uh, you know, they, they, they get their backs up about the fact that they're being told what to think, quote unquote. But the the problem is that normally it's just because they don't want to agree with the statement that the person is making. I'm sure that corporate capitalists would watch Robocop and feel personally attacked. But, you know, just because someone's making an all-female me Too response movie reboot of Black Christmas doesn't make it more political than any film that was made in the 70s I, I think, or 80s. right, here's,
1: here's the point that I want to make, right. I, I think, obviously, Joe Bob Briggs is a character, uh, and we need to remember that. It's not the name of a of course. person. And um, he used to be a lot more offensive than he is now, but he's still playing that character. But I think at the heart of what he's maybe saying, and I don't want to put words into his mouth, but... Um, it does feel like the political messages of the kind of 70s and 80s, the the allegories that you talk about, um, obviously they were definitely there, but they came from the soul of an artist. It was people like George Romero making um, Night of the Living Dead as kind of an allegory for racism, though he does also deny that, but it's just so obviously baked into that film. I, I think a lot of these films were made because creatives and artists had something that they passionately wanted to say in the form of their art what maybe joe bob briggs is getting out is that corporations and i don't want to name any of them but you know certain um, filmmaking companies have realized that there's quite a strong market for uh, films in general but you know a lot of horror films that do have political messages that that people will kind of buy into so rather than it coming from a place a soulful place it's more about um point scoring or you know it, it, the aim is to make money and i think maybe joe bob briggs is hearkening back to um uh, uh, a, a, an era where it, it didn't feel like that was kind of the main aim though obviously it's the film industry is the
0: film business so everyone's
1: always wanted to make money but do do you see what i'm getting at
0: I do. I do see what you're getting at. And I think that you're right in the distinction between films then and now, perhaps, and how they're made. I'm not entirely sure I agree with that being Joe Bob's Briggs' uh, intent. But like you said, you're not putting words in his mouth. You're just. Uh, you're making assumptions based on what he said. So that's I mean, absolutely fair.
1: I, I guess it, it's it's just kind of where I'm coming from, maybe. Um, maybe I'm projecting my own thoughts onto it because uh, let's not forget I have just made uh, a horror movie that has a very strong and clear kind of political message to it. That is born out of um, things that I've uh, kind of seen, heard, and, and yeah, um, I, I don't want to... Uh, go too much into it because i don't want to spoil the movie but um i I see there being a difference between what i've made very passionately and some of the stuff that that's out there that just feels a bit more cynical and and it doesn't feel like it's come from artists
0: i think the distinction is corporate versus independent, yeah. and uh, you know, Romero was making these pictures, and yeah, that's you so know, true. When, he, when he made The Living Dead, it was pocket funded, you know, like, there was that wasn't a studio picture. And I think that that's one of the things that makes Robocop so amazing, is that it managed to be ostensibly a, a studio picture while maintaining this amazing, you know, political allegorical content
2: yeah, yeah it, like that's
0: that's very different and like i'm reading a, a biopic of well it's it's sort of a more of a melange uh, beyond a singular biopic but it's in part a biopic of run run Shaw mm-hmm. at the moment and there's an amazing quote in it where someone asked him what his favorite type of movie was and he said oh my favorite type of movie it's a movie that makes money <laughs> <laughs> that's it and it and I mean, that's what it boils down to, like he made some of my favorite films, but at the end of the day, he was a fucking venture capitalist.
1: This is it, but you know true artists can can make true art working within the corporate structure um it will always be better um films made independently. Um, will always be better than films that uh, have to go through the corporate studio system. You know, there are great movies in both, don't get me wrong, but in terms of getting into the, the pure vision of an artist, then uh, anything made with less restrictions. Um, ideologically, I think that practical restrictions are actually really good for independent films, and um, that's another thing that kind of makes them special. But, um, yeah, I just think that uh, independents make movies and want them to make money so they can make more movies, so they can express themselves more, so they, of can, they can, you know, add things to their legacy and, and create uh, an overall, um, I guess, statement um, or representation of, of their, their thoughts and feelings. Whereas on the corporate side, they just want to make churn out, you know, kind of any old shit. And if it's good, great. But if it isn't, as long as people have bought tickets, they don't really give a fuck because they've got the money of, of the audience. Um, and, and that's yeah. the difference. No, it's true. It's true.
0: Like, there's so many... Um, well, I agree with you, but that is—you've got to remember that that cynicism is behind the funding of RoboCop. So the fact that you know Sophia Carl and April Wolf have been given the money to make a, a new Black Christmas, and it's got an all-female crew, an uh, all-female cast, and like not all-female cast—it's you know it's gender flipped, um, and it's uh, uh, and it's you know now garnering these complaints, like. Just because the people that greenlit it are maybe like you know cashing in on a on a an opinion or a, or a, a wave of taste in a market because it's a it's a financial decision doesn't mean that those artists are purely and obviously there are exceptions to this obviously there are people out there who are just going oh what's good at the moment well people really like like strong female characters so I'll just write one of them like you know there's obviously people taking uh, opportunity within this but I think that that like you said an artist will find a way to make art within a corporate structure well here's that here's the
1: thing right black christmas it's not gender flip like the the original film is very um uh it's full of women and full of great women and actually full of politics as well there's kind of an abortion subplot and we're not even talking about the movies themselves because neither of us have seen the Black Christmas reboot. Um, no. Neither has, I assume, Joe Bob Briggs. What we're talking he was complaining about,
0: about the trailer, yeah.
1: Yeah, so what I'm talking about is the marketing. And I stand by my point that there are many, many, many people um, within corporations, within studios, who do not give a fuck about tricking people into seeing films. Um <laughs> and they they don't care about legacy no you're they right you're completely right is money so they don't care that they've sold a ticket on false pretenses because they've got the money so who cares and these people go and see whatever film they want to market next as long as they you know um put enough things into the trailer that, that, that make you want to Man, go and see it even you're, you're, if those no, you're things
0: right. even if those things are like the best parts of the movie so the number so, yeah. of the number of borderline mainstream genre films I've seen where they've been advertised like something totally other yeah. from what they are and all I can think is yeah look you may not have had the groundswell that you had from based on your trailer if you'd been honest about what this film was but you wouldn't also have had everybody coming out of the cinema being like I don't like long movies no there was a lot of talking <laughs> And and this is like, this is what
1: it comes down to. Just be fucking honest to.
0: about what you're selling.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of why I'm I'm making this point so passionately and over such a, a long period of time, because I do think that at the moment in culture um, there are a lot of loud voices in um, marketing for for movies, and it, it's kind of detrimental for. For some of those other quieter voices who may have something actually more resonant to say and and it it just worries me and whether or not joe bob briggs was making that point i don't fucking know but um my point is independent movies forever fuck the corporations
2: Um,
1: (laughs) and uh thank you very much good night that takes us very neatly into
0: films we've watched recently <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes after that diatribe let's uh, let's lighten the mood what have you watched in the past couple of weeks dan that you would uh, so
0: recommend? this very morning i watched uh, a film that i saw a trailer for at the bell lighthouse in toronto at the beginning of the year and i thought holy fuck i need to see that movie and then for a while i thought i'd kind of imagined it uh when i saw a trailer for that claire denis picture about space um life. that came out high life thank you uh which i have not seen but uh i'm not a massive fan of claire denis a- and then some of my staff saw it and they reported back to me and I was like, no, it doesn't sound like I'd like it. Fuck, was that the thing I saw in Toronto? And then I was chatting to Mike, our lovely editor, uh, a little while ago. Producer, and was like, no, I'd no. say. I'd say producer rather than editor, but yeah. yeah both, both. Pre- pre- Pred-editor? No, that sounds like predator. Don't <laughs> say that. <laughs> Educer, A lovely Educer. Um, that sounds like Medusa. Uh, Oh, yeah, Mike. Yeah, I'll give Mike a Medusa, a Medusa thing. That's nice. Like the old, uh, there was a fashion, a fashion house that had the little golden Medusa head back in the seventies. That was cool. he can have that. We've anyway, both gone. The mad point... this week,
1: we've gone. Robocop has <laughs> is... us both
0: absolutely <laughs> yeah. mad. You were the saying it's is... a horror film
1: a bit ago. Anyway, carry on.
0: <laughs> the point is that uh, that uh, I I, dis- I, tr- I tried to describe it to Mike, and Mike was like, oh. Aniara, we're releasing that. Oh wow! So I said to Mike, "Can I can I get a copy of Aniara? I, I want to watch it." He sent it through to me. I've had it for a, about a week. I watched it this morning. It's straight in. Spoiler alert! Straight into my top ten of 2019. I fucking love it. It's a like a almost two hour long, so not super long by recent standards. Swedish sci fi picture directed by Pelle Kagaman and Hugo. I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, Lil, Lilia, Lilia. It's fucking beautiful. I cannot stress enough how much I love this film. I, I really want you to see it, Sam, because I want to do an episode on it at some point in the future. When's it being but released? It's out. I believe it's out now. Oh, wow. Um, there's, they, uh, I think Magnet have it in the States, uh, although Amazon US do have the Arrow edition on uh, on there as well. And I think Diabolic... Uh, dot uh, dvd.com also have the amazon version which has uh the short film sort of proof of concept and an audio commentary um that are unique to the arrow version uh it's a really really lovely disc but um it's essentially it's like uh, creation of the humanoids the film i mentioned earlier it starts with a montage of the destruction of earth in a nuclear fire um and then what just such a sweet, beautiful moment at the beginning of this film, because it begins at the end of Earth. It's about like the destruction, destruction of the planet, and and what we do after that. It starts with this montage of like nuclear explosions, burning forests, pebbles glazed to glass, and then the credits roll. Right at the beginning, you mm-hmm. get an end. You but like not like old fashioned title cards. Where they just like you know in the in the forties where they got the credits out of the way at the beginning they literally do a whole title role at the yeah, beginning yeah so like climax like climax but but the film isn't playing like it, yeah yeah like climax like climax and then uh, we join one of many ships making a short leap to Mars to a colony that's been set up for for people who are leaving Earth like the the people that have left. Uh, that have left earth uh, after this nuclear explosion the people who the nuclear war the people that have survived and uh, as seems to be very prevalent this year there's a lot of disable aware casting because there's a lot of uh, like burn victims in Mm -hmm. the in the cast although not in the, the the primary cast but like peppered throughout the 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 scenic cast and and it's about these this huge, like, Noah's Ark kind of ship that's going to take a three-week travel to, you know, using new science to to go to Mars. And then they hit some space debris leaving Earth's atmosphere and are are knocked off, uh, off course, have to jettison all their fuel to stop an explosion happening. And then they're like, well... Uh, we can't steer the ship anymore because <laughs> we've had to jettison all our fuel. But don't worry, as soon as we pass a celestial body, we can use the gravitational ring to jettison ourselves, like to realign ourselves, and we'll just whee, shoot back off. So that should be fine. It'll just take a, a few months. Uh, and then the rest of the film plays out like uh, an interstellar Lord of the Flies. Oh, wow. And it is astonishingly good. Cool. Um, it's pretty grim. It's haunting <laughs> is is a very good word for it. Um, uh, there's a lovely extra feature on it uh, called uh, no-set sci-fi because it's all just shot in real spaces. Like, the spaceship is huge, mm. and all of the locations in it are just locations they found mm. uh, with the odd CGI, like, you know, screen edition or whatever. Um And obviously, there are some exteriors that are entirely animated, but it's un- it's unbelievably beautiful and it's quite like heartbreaking in places it's really really fucking good
1: oh, that sounds great and uh i I would recommend that you watch high life dan um yeah uh, whether or not you like Claire Denis, I do like Claire Denis even though obviously i'm I'm a huge right winger uh (laughs) you know i think that women should never direct uh this that was a joke uh so yeah no i love claire denis and i loved high life it kind of um tonally reminded me of some jonathan glazer stuff actually so uh i think that would okay all right well you're winning me back Um, a little yeah and
0: and robert pattinson is fantastic in it i think pattinson's a really good actor like i think yeah. he's 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 being forced to earn his chops very slowly because of some early choices but um but i think he's a very good actor yeah he's his taste is
1: unreal and you know he has worked with so many of my kind of favorite directors so uh yeah do do give it a try man i, I do actually think you'd like it it's lovely slow, right. slow burn it. thing um
0: and yeah, yeah, you say slow burn. I've always my big problem with Dani is she she really tests the limits of my patience with narrative.
1: Yeah, I I, I hear you, but this one, yeah, look, without getting okay. into All it right. too much, it's it's it it's structurally quite satisfying. So um, okay, okay, yeah, uh, but that is not my recommendation from the past couple of weeks. Instead. Uh, it is Fistful of Dynamite first um, <laughs> nice. the Sergio Leone film which has just had a release with Masters of Cinema on uh, you know Eureka, Eureka uh, yeah, nice. and this is uh, uh, an old favourite very underrated I think people were kind of disappointed that they didn't get another Once Upon a Time in the West or Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or whatever with it. It's kind of a different beast. I mean, there are kind of connections with uh, uh, Leonie's other stuff, but it's uh, a lot more um, overtly political, much like Leonie's other stuff. It's a long film, and it has around five different endings. There are so many points when it can just finish, (laughs) um, and it doesn't. Um, but for me it kind of gets better as it goes along Um, and yeah it's a a really lovely Blu-ray release Um, you know it's got the different cuts on there it's got a a new Kim Newman interview and just yeah loads of lovely Leone stuff in the extra features so yeah I, I really really love this film and this is a great release of it so Fistful of Dynamite my first recommendation from the past couple of weeks
0: Dan what have you got next? Um, so I've been digging through a list of oh god, I should probably watch all of this stuff because we're doing our uh, best of twenty nineteen next, <laughs> mm. and I and I want to make sure I've I've checked everything off my list. I it's on Amazon to to rent. Uh, I watched the art of self defense, the Riley Stearns um, picture mm. yesterday. Have you seen that? No. I love it. I really, I really love it. I like, uh, like really dour, straight comedy. It's, I, for the first like act, I thought it was going to just be ripping off Foul King. You seen that? The Korean picture? No. Foul King? It's, uh, about a guy who gets mugged and wants to, played by Jesse Eisenberg, uh, and wants to, uh, like find meaning, uh, and like, feels strong and better he's bullied at work everything's bullshit uh, and so he joins a, he ends up getting involved with a dojo with a like a, a weird karate dojo and i thought it was going to be like foul king which is this great korean picture about a, a a young korean businessman who in a similar situation ends up joining a mexican wrestling class but it goes off in a completely different direction. Imogen Poots uh, is in it and plays this uh, fantastic brown belt in the class. Obviously, Eisenberg starts off as a white belt. Uh, there's a lot of belt jokes in it. It's it's very uh, like sort of like po-faced comedy. There's a, a lot of wry laughs um, and a little bit of ultraviolence. I, I don't want to say too much about it. It's It's really, really fucking good, and you can rent it. So it's... It's not a it's not a comedy in the traditional sense, but it's really good. Well, I
1: will definitely check it out. Uh, excellent recommendations this this time around. Before I go into my next recommendation from the past couple of weeks, I do really really want to underline the point that I was making earlier because I'm I just it's nagging at the back of my brain that I didn't express it properly or fully. Um, just to make the point that I am truly. Truly, as is obvious to anyone who listens to this podcast, I hope, so passionate about independent cinema, uh, independent film and the independent spirit. And I really want to kind of build a community around these movies. Um, that is my passion, more than making money. And so it bothers me that there are also money, diehard moneymakers in, in the industry that are kind of uh, swallowing up the, the independent sector uh there still is a voice there and there still is a thriving community um but i really want to build that community and, and make it as big as possible so um yeah i really want to make that point basically dan if that's all right
0: no no i no, man i get you i get you I, I, I just think that it's the it's the nature of uh of of any kind of like corporate media or well any any Fuck. So you, listeners won't be aware of this person, but uh, I have a, a member of staff who works for me called Dan Gomer. He's a, a really lovely guy. Uh, he's a fantastic arts finisher. He does a lot of uh, painting for me. Mm. Um, Sam knows him. He used to live with me uh, briefly at the same time as as Sam were, was, was in my house. And... He and I routinely have a conversation at work, like an ongoing conversation, about the difficulty of uh, pure art in a uh, in a in a financial world. Yeah, like the uh, the uh, the 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 struggle of of making art that is true unto itself in a capitalistic society. Yeah, because unless you're willing to fucking cut your ear off, go mad, and die broke it's very very hard to make completely honest artwork because sooner or later you're going to have to acquiesce to someone somewhere brandishing a checkbook now you know as a when i'm in my daily life as a special effects artist i am an artist you know i'm a i'm a, i'm an engineer i'm a sculptor i'm a you know i'm a painter i do all of these things but i'm doing them by and large i'm doing them to a quite a strong brief So I have to work within parameters set to me by someone else. Now, I'm often lucky in that that person themselves is an artist. So when I get to work for someone like Ben Wheatley or Brandon Cronenberg, like... Richard Stanley. And, 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 yeah, Richard Stanley, exactly. Like many, many other uh, other fantastic artists who I get to collaborate with, then I have this fantastic freedom. But often, and not always, but often there is another layer above because that director isn't the person controlling the bank. So someone somewhere else says, well, no, that's going to cost too much. Or, mm, well, that's not really what we want. Or, mm, that's not going to get us the rating that we want. So I have to balance this space between my own artistic integrity my collaborative integrity with the artist that I'm working with the director and then also the person that's paying me to do it because it's not it's not just me in a vacuum I've got a workshop that I pay rent on I've got staff that I pay you know daily or hourly wages or whatever like you know these we're all working within a business that is show business so it's it's very difficult like i i had a conversation with dan in in the workshop the other day and he he said to me how do you still love films so much when you so regularly have the thing that you want that you love about a project just shat upon (laughs) like when someone goes oh no no we're gonna do it like that you have to do like this now and it's like well that's not that's not the one i wanted to do (laughs) and i was like Well, but, you know, you find the bits you love, you find the moments in it that ignite a fire in you, and then the rest of it you just do. It's fine, you just get it out of the way. Like, nothing that I have to do is horrible. Like, I'm not fucking killing cattle with a bolt gun. You know, even on a bad day I'm sculpting and I'm moulding and I'm casting and I'm painting. These are things I love. You know, and then on yeah. a good day, I'm creating something special and unique, and 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 I'm helping a director achieve this amazing vision that I believe in, and I and I think that that's it. You know, like we as artists, like some of us are very very lucky in that we're self financed, and uh, you know, with with enough budget that it's not a struggle. There are hundreds of self, thousands of self financed artists out there who are struggling but but then there's that like that middle tier where like they can self finance but because they've got their own money and then beyond that, then you start, like little by little, you have to start acquiescing to the wants of the of the money man. And sometimes you're lucky. Like, you know, we on a, a film I won't mention the name of, but a, a, a big-ish film I did, um, we were like, what the fuck? Why are they not visiting set? How are we getting away with all of this? <laughs> you know, and so you get to do that stuff. And then other ones, you're being micromanaged on every single decision you make. That's totally so it. Like, yeah, and, and the, the thing is, uh, you know,
1: about you, Dan, is that your taste is so... So strong, your your genius is so apparent that I no. think you're you're able to win a lot more of those arguments than than you lose. I would say. Um,
0: well, I've got that lovely big colonialist voice where I turn up and sound <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about. But I, I guess you know my
1: my passion and my vision and my probably you know um, optimistic uh, side of my personality. Um, I feel like that there is another way, and that's what I'm working towards. Um, I do feel like there is an audience out there who um, is being ignored or or underused or underappreciated, and you know, with Frankenstein's creature, obviously sold out really quickly at Fright Fest. The DVD sold out in the pre-order stage, and that's as weird as it can get, pretty much, in in terms of what's currently out there, Um, and there was an audience for that. So what I'm really kind of passionate about is serving that audience, finding a collective of other artists who feel the same way and and trying to build something that doesn't have those restrictions of, uh, let's face it, fucking idiots at the top um, who don't understand film or film history or this sort of beautiful art house movies that can actually change someone's life. So, um, that is what my rant is about um, that we have to topple these fuckers um, and bring true art back to the audience that will totally support it if you just give them the opportunity. So, um,
0: yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. I under I also acknowledge that there are not enough of them to bankroll films that are as big as Robocop. So the the genius of Robocop is that it spans the mainstream and the cult. It manages to be an independent film within the studio system. Completely. And like if we if we smash the people that only cared about money then Run Run would never have been able to make Come Drink With Me like you know the there are these amazing films that slip through the cracks and I think that that's what we have to aim for is to to make our to make our chops in the indie world and then once we find a seat in the corporate system to be able to keep our voice and that's the real struggle
1: I just yeah no I could, you're completely right I completely agree with you but I also feel like where we are now in terms of the technology of both making films and distributing films, um, there is a
0: third way. Um, and yeah, no, I completely Man. understand. Yeah, that, you're right. Um, yeah. So so you're right. The democratization of filmmaking, brought about by digital media advent, is astonishing. And if you don't need millions of pounds to make your picture then for god's sake go out and make your picture because that you will find an audience if you're not gonna if you if you whatever you can risk financially on your film risk it don't mortgage your house don't risk ruining your life but if you can make a film for the money you've got in your savings make that film if you believe in it make that film because that is how we get films like night of the living dead and that is how you know all these amazing little indie self-finance pictures they're so important and who fucking knows you only have to make one minorly successful art house film and they'll let you direct a fucking Star Wars picture these days so your whole career's made.
1: But again, this is my point. Your whole career isn't made. Sorry, Dan. You are completely right with what you're saying but I can't let that go especially... <laughs> no, I example, know. You know I was the, being flippant. Especially the example that you've just used because Star Wars is the fucking end of a career now. Um, it will chew you up and spit you out and this is the corporate culture that has, has kind of poisoned film at the moment we need more people out there exactly as you say going out and making their movies um, with whatever they can spare Um, obviously not getting themselves into financial trouble but i want to make you listening to this podcast right now i want to see your movie so much more than i want to see the next fucking star wars film um so yeah like i say fuck all corporations i will never make a disney movie you can all go fuck yourselves all i care about is the people listening to this podcast who are gonna go on and make films just like i
0: did um so yeah that that is truly the end of this rant sam yes when you answer a a star wars question for me you know I, i i don't know a lot about star wars baby yoda no, I'm, oh god, you know, I know. Well, okay, it is, it's, it's actually associated with the baby odor. Okay, go on. Because um, so you know how Robot Cop is a robot and a cop, and they've become one, right? Yeah. yeah. You know the car from Back to the Future. Yeah. Is he and RoboCop are they combined for the Mandalorian? <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> I like how long that laugh took. <laughs>
1: I, I, it just it, 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 it percolated in my brain and I decided that yes after all that is very funny so um, well done Dan yes that is right um, but no I'm I'm majorly off Star Wars um, so I haven't seen and obviously The Mandalorian hasn't released in this country yet
0: anyway so I wouldn't have no, seen, not it, seen but, any of it but, uh, but I, I, I have seen, seen some amazing terrible like fan art like gifs and Yoda. clips
1: like we're you know in the UK we might as well not subscribe to Disney Plus because we have seen everything from the only thing that's on that service. Um, uh, anyway, I'm really going to stop my. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, career suicide live on air um this is like the podcast version of network isn't it but anyway <laughs> I' gonna move on I think this has been a very good episode I'm gonna move on to uh, my next recommendation and oh god are we still doing that yeah I, 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 in the middle of that I, I had this big old rant um and in fact I'm gonna break tradition once more because this is actually more to recommend a night uh, than the individual films uh, You gave me
0: so it. much shit for recommending a TV show uh, This is a film night that You'd I'm... recommended albums in the past I have not recommended albums Or a book or something uh, not, I, a, I, not a film, or re- TV, I, nothing with pictures Look, look don't, <laughs> Please don't We need to finish this episode so go, 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 go. What's, the What's the argument? night? What's coming up?
1: So um, and no it's actually it's a night that I uh, that I went to in the past couple of weeks but oh. um, it's kind of a regular thing so uh, basically uh, there is a venue in Edinburgh called the Banshee Labyrinth which has an incredible underground cinema um, Dan and I have been to many sort of nights at venues and pubs where they're showing films yeah. on you know, okay screens with okay sound but this is an indie cinema that has um like picture and sound to match some of the best uh, venues i've been to and so i went to a night called the edinburgh zombie club uh it's not zombie films uh i watched uh, the double bill of battle beyond the stars and the being have you seen the being nice Dan? i've not seen the being it is truly insane. It is, uh, it's one of these kind of vanity pictures where uh, the actor Excellent. has paid for the film to happen, and in this instance, his wife is the director, um, Jackie Kong, and it's basically about a monster that's been created from radiation and it's basically running around a town. It's from the 80s. It's absolutely ridiculous. So yeah. if you like so bad, it's good films. Um,
0: you will like The Being.
1: Um, but I've, yeah, I, I also... I've just, look,
0: I've just looked it up on IMDb. When you say it's made out of radiation, do you mean radiation and turds?
1: <laughs> oh, spoiler <laughs> alert.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, it looks I also, amazing. It, it's really, really
1: fun. Um, it's on Amazon Prime for free, so... Oh, uh, yes, do watch it. But if you can watch it surrounded by people who are all laughing at it, all the, all the better. So maybe have a viewing party for it. Um, but yeah, I also saw my bloody banjo... Uh, the latest cut of that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah,
1: that played there recently, uh, run by a different collective called Neon Frights, um, and I basically made a friend there who invited me to see this sci-fi double bill by the Zombie Club. But my point is, is yet again, here is uh, an underground, independent, uh, in this instance, you know, screening collective um, who are putting on movies for free? By the way, it's all free. Wow! Um, so yeah, there, there's a kind of really rich, kind of psychotronic scene in Scotland that I wasn't expecting. So um, keep an eye out on the Banshee Labyrinth and and uh, who knows what kind of crazy double bills will be coming up over the next couple of months. So. Right, I'm out of breath. Man, this has been an intense episode. I think Uh, this
0: this may be the longest one we've ever done. So, you know, well done us. Well done us. Should we move on to extra features? Have we got any extra features? Extra features. Extra features? Unfortunately, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we do?
1: It's gonna get even longer. Um, Oh my goodness, what have we got? Yeah, so basically uh, one of the things I'm doing up here is I am doing audio commentaries, which is very fun. And I did an audio commentary for Here Comes Hell, which was uh, one of Paul McAvoy's favourites, both at Glasgow and uh, in in the the London Fright Fest. Um, It was one of those rare films to kind of make the leap to both. And so because I was doing this commentary for this film, I had absolutely no involvement in. Um, I decided to give Jack McHenry a call, Uh, to ask him many, many questions about the making of his film. Um, So rather than play that whole thing, because it is an incredibly long interview, uh, what I'm going to do is pull out my favourite section from the interview, and I think I'm going to pick the moment when Jack is talking to me about how he made some of the special effects in the movie, because this is a true, like, indie spirit creation um, and I don't know if you've seen Here Comes Hell yet, Dan, have you? Yeah, yeah,
0: it was one of my one-to-watch one at Friday when we oh, did fantastic. that episode.
1: I, I, well, sometimes we do those before we've seen films, so I didn't know whether you'd actually seen it, but...
0: No, 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 I, I,
1: I saw it. It's fun. It's really got fun. A, a really great kind of Peter Jackson vibe. Yes, in, 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 Peter in... Jackson, like early Raimi. Totally, yeah, It's yeah. really fun. So um, let's have a little listen to Jack McHenry talking about how he put the effects together for Here Comes Hell. And um, the first attack is very Evil Dead meets Brain Dead. Uh, the headless puppet is so much fun. Who made it?
2: Uh, I I made that just in my bedroom with went to um, uh, Halloween Halloween shops and like pound land and things Yeah, and it it was we just sort of got like a like a head sort of offline like a mask or something and just filled it with expanding foam and like cut it up and things and put like hot glue over it and then just sprayed it up and then just put it on like a little uh, like L bracket of shoulders Yeah, and that that's just my brother underneath it right that's
1: why he's got very long arms and stuff it doesn't work but it kind of sits in with that But he's fantastic man and it's that that, the the sequence where they're trying to sort of stay quiet and and it's kind of sniffing them kind of looking at them it's really creepy man it works really well oh Oh, thank you you. yeah Um, and it feels yeah very Peter Jackson I guess you know yeah Yeah, big did you big influence did you watch a lot of YouTube videos about how they they did those early horror films, or like how did you um, use yeah. him as an influence? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, I did. There was a good one actually about bad taste about him by like, making it. I yeah. Think, his stuff he made is so much better. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's, like he's got animatronic heads and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think as well just the, like those, you know, like Peter Jackson, Sam Raimi, and, and like mm. Robert Rodriguez as well. Like, oh, yeah. I like their films, and but then also I like them the way they made them and stuff. Totally. And that was like a big influence on of going like, you just, don't worry about the budget in a way. Like you can, there are ways of doing it. We just sort of like think, think creatively around stuff and like so that, that was a big influence just
1: on their, their way they made their films that's great thank you there we go Nice. Uh, right let's that, really wrap this up now Dan. but would you like to give your social media information so people can give us their thoughts and feelings on the things that we've discussed this week
0: uh, yeah, my uh, social media, both Instagram and Twitter, are at 13fingerfx. Um, and those of you that already follow me will be delighted to know that uh, by the time this goes up, uh, we will have a new puppy in the household, so there'll be even more fucking dog pictures. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> I cannot wait for
1: those. Uh, I am at Sam Ashers on Twitter. I am at Sam Ashes number 23. So the number two, the number three. Samashas23, on Instagram. My God, I feel like we've been talking forever. So I am now going to say thank you so much for listening to this. <laughs> uh, for sticking and, with us. And we promise, promise to be... Fuck. <laughs> leave pro- it in. I'm leave that in, leave that in, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to <say> it <laughs> Get ready. And we promise to be more professional next time. When we will be doing our end of year special. So tune in for yes. that. Yes. And uh, our thank you.
0: 500 favourite films of 2019 each. Yes. Some of which won't
1: be released <laughs> until 2028. So stay tuned for that. All right. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of guesswork. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.